You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, OJ, Juice Man, This is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans. Number one, one. of course, y'all. This ain't no ordinary sports talk. Dive up in that fish tank. Welcome back to the Fish Tank right here on the official Miami Dolphins podcast network. Seth Levitt here with the great OJ McDuffie. Juice, how you feeling today? What's up, big Seth? Everything is glorious. Preach, good on your end? All good, fellas. Man, you know I'm good, Seth, man. We, you know, we come out like this, man, with the guys that, you know what I mean, that I roll with. That, yeah, particularly you know, in that receiver room. I know you love having some wideouts. You know, I'm always geeked up about that, man. So go ahead. Get that big intro, big Seth. Well, very excited about this one. Uh, I'm waiting for the podcast where I don't come in excited. That might be where we lose the listeners early. But this <laughs> is a guy that I got to cheer for, didn't work with, but got to cheer for. And I know you have some wonderful stories about, but we are fired up to welcome Irving Fryer into the fish tank. Mr. Fry- Dr. Fryer, excuse me, Doctor. Dr. Fryer, how are you feeling today? I'm doing well. Everyone, good to see you, OJ, specifically, my man, and uh, Seth and Sean. God bless all of you. Thanks for having me on In the Tank. (laughs) Absolutely. Great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. And I don't know how much Juice prepped you, but, um, you know, we're a pretty hard-hitting group here in the tank with tough (laughs) questions. And and so with that, I'm just going to jump right into it. You know, we, we won't mince words here. Juice claims that in his entire career, and I think he's an authority on this, but in his entire career – nobody's suit game was stronger than Irving's Friars. I I need to hear about this. Um, (laughs) Tough questions. I I just, I mean, that just, I think it was the reflection of the kind of person I was. Everything had to be right. It had to be perfect. Uh, Even though we're not perfect and we're not always right, but I was trying to achieve that in every aspect of my life as possible. So yes, I tried to dress to impress not just myself, but other people. And I, I tried to do things uh, the right way when it came to uh, my gear. I was always that way, though. I was that way when I was a kid, uh, though I did not have, you know, the fine linens or, or the fine cloths. But I was always well-groomed, uh, clothes, ironed. I was one of those kids that had jeans with a crease in the pants <laughs> of the jeans down the leg. I love you. So, yeah, that was, that was, that was me. Yeah, I appreciate that, OJ. Yeah, but you know, Earth forced everybody to have a tailor, Big Seth. Yeah, if you didn't have a tailor on that team, getting on that bus or getting on that plane, it it was it was a problem. Hillman, Irvin set the standard, then Lewis Oliver and Jarvis would hold you, you to know, the Jarvis standard. Williams like, Lou would hold business, you to the standard. Man. <laughs> yeah, man, it was a tough standard to to, to live up to, man. So Irv, man, he had he had that swagger, man. That you know, as a young jit coming on the plane, man, it was like, all right, I'm going to get me a little tailor too. I'm not going to get the most expensive suits, but I'm going to get like five nice ones. <laughs> now, did he, did he say? Well, well yeah, we were, we're professionals. Yeah. We, we should look like professionals. So we had to raise our game. And when you look good, I've heard Dion say this before, <laughs> when you look good, you feel good. And when you feel good, you play good. Play good. We hear that one often in the tank, for sure. Absolutely. That's what you guys like Juice and JT and now you. I don't get so the big, ugly, grimy guys. They never come in and give me that speech, Juice. No, 
No, no. Oh, Big Webb now. We had Big Webb. Big Webb was one of those guys. Webb, he had some big-ass suits. Sexy was always, you know, yes, he, he but the rest of them, they didn't give a damn, man. They didn't care. Came in as is and, now, you know, sweated out. Did Irv give you his tailor? Did the number of his tailor? Or, like, go get you a tailor, but this is my – like, these are my people. You 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 know, that's the well, – See, Irv brought his tailor into the locker room, and I think everybody kind of, you know, dipped off of it. But once Irv picked a fabric, nobody else was allowed to have that It fabric. was off the market. You know? Yeah, that's, that's a wrap. That <laughs> like when you buy those gone. beats, right? When that's, you go online Irv's. and buy those beats, you can right. buy the beat that everybody uses or you pay a little extra and <laughs> it's gone. The fabric's gone. I love it. That's right. <laughs> you know what, though, Irv, man? What I always wonder, man, is how a guy that grows up in New Jersey ends up in Nebraska to play college ball. And then not only were you in Nebraska, you play wide receiver there, and you end up the number one pick in the How the hell were you the number one pick in the Crazy. draft as a wide receiver on a team in Nebraska in 19 that runs the ball all the time? How is that possible? Well, um, that's a really good question. I've been asked that question several times. First, uh, how I got to Nebraska. I really I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to play football. Um, I did recruited by a bunch of schools across the country. It started out with the smaller schools and then started advancing to the bigger schools like uh, UCLA and USC and Nebraska. And uh, I grew up uh, being friends. Our families were friends. Mike Rozier, who ended up being a Heisman Trophy winner. So we decided wherever we were going to go, we we're going to go together. Mike needed to go or had to go to a junior college before he was able to attend uh, the regular college, the university. So he chose Nebraska because they had a real good, we almost went to Pittsburgh, but he chose Nebraska. He went to Coffeeville my freshman year, and then he came my sophomore year. And that's how I ended up in Nebraska because our parents said to us that we should probably go together. If we're going to go away, it'd be easier. We can take care of ourselves, take care of one another. And uh, we'd be there with someone that we're familiar with. Now, as far as Nebraska and receiver, now in Nebraska, I was a, in a three-point stance, mm-hmm. split out three-point stance. So when I got to the pros, it was it was all athletic ability for me. My first couple of years trying to figure out um, how to get around this guy that was standing in front of me from a standing position. You know, we didn't have any of that kind of defense going on when I was in Nebraska and I was mostly a wingback. So I was offset right off the, the uh, tackle where the uh, tight end normally would be, but I was offset and I was a blocker. Um, But I was also a punt returner and I averaged probably touching the ball four times a game. But when I touched the ball, usually it was a touchdown or (laughs) a large game. So, I mean, I guess they saw that I was a physical guy. I could block. I had athletic ability. I had the ability to return punts, return kickoffs. I did that very well. Matter of fact, my first Pro Bowl was uh, as a punt returner. And that's why I ended up. And then we also had the competition of the uh, the World League at the time. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The USFL. USFL, yeah. USFL. USFL was going on at the same time. So there was a competition going on there trying to pull people or keep people from going to the USFL and keep them in the NFL. And I actually sat in front of uh, Donald Trump on top of the uh, Trump Tower. Yeah, because he had drafted your Jersey guy, right? Come to come to the generals, but he would not guarantee my contract. And that's the only reason why I did not go to the USFL and ended up being the uh, first pick in the NFL. So there were were a lot of different variables, um, but I think the most prominent one was the fact that I was an athlete. They saw that I could do multiple things. And uh, even though I wasn't necessarily your typical protocol wide receiver standing up, running down the field, running great routes, I learned as I went along. And I'll tell you something. 
my first nine years in the league were very limited as a wide receiver. When I came to Miami, it was like I died and, and went to heaven. I did not realize and did not know that offensive professional football could be played the way we played it down in Miami. Well, not everybody I, could play it that way, Irvin, because not everybody had 13 back there. <laughs> well, well, and, and that's exactly what I'm, I'm saying. When, when, yeah. I was, when I was at New England, my first nine years, if we called a play, an offensive play in the huddle, and uh, we lined up and the defense was in a defense that was going to stop that play. Well, we just they just they won. We take one on the on the chin and they win that play. Um, we did not have the ability and did not change plays at the line of scrimmage. That just never happened. So I come to Miami <laughs> and uh, Dan's changed. You know, he we come to the line of scrimmage. He's called a play in the hole. He comes out, gives me a signal behind his back. And it's just he and I. For the play, you know, we're, we're, it's like playing in the in the uh, in the yard, you know, playing out in the street with the kids. It's just him and I. That's what happened when we played New England, which was the first game of the season. Uh, on that last play of the game, it was fourth and five, I believe it was, with a few seconds left on the clock. Dan called a play in the huddle, and then comes up to the line of scrimmage and gives me a go. And we needed five yards for the first down, but he gives me a, a takeoff. Well, you and took so off. I catch it for a touchdown. We win the game. <laughs> yeah, and and man, I'm like. This is not fair. <laughs> this, this is our football. This is our football. I mean, imagine what it would have been like if I had that ability or the ability to do that and that openness and that freedom for the first nine years of my, of my career. Well, that's crazy. And we're going to get into all of that today because you just hit basically our entire, uh, our entire show. Run. Yeah, you, you got it all. So we're, we're excited about that. And yeah, 17 year career and the numbers you put up, I can only imagine if you, if you had that type of an offense to play in. But I want to go back a little bit for two things. The first one is you said Mike Rogier and the parents were close and they said, Hey, you guys, wherever you go, you should go together. Well, he was, he was handling the ball a little bit more. So they had your big behind blocking for him. So that was a great deal for him. <laughs> they didn't tell you you were only going to get four touches again. Well, you know, I really didn't. Again, I didn't. Playing professional football, even going to college, was not something that I dreamed about. It was not something that was a goal of mine. It wasn't what I aspired to do as a kid. Coming out of high school, I had a couple of uncles that were Marines. Mm. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to join the Marine Corps and fly jets off of aircraft carriers. That's wow. what I wanted to do coming out of high school. But then, I guess fortunately, but also unfortunately started getting recruited by all these schools and Mike and I were getting recruited by the same schools. So I listened back then we kids listened to their parents. <laughs> so when my mother said, go to school, I was the first one in our family to ever go to college. So I went to college, even coming out of college though, I never, I never really wanted to play football. I never really wanted to play in the NFL. And that was not my dream. Uh, I went to the university of Nebraska planning on, uh, my major being meteorology and graduating wow. and then going into the Marines as an officer and flying jets off of aircraft carriers. That's what I wanted to do. But then my senior year, uh, I came home from school. We were homeless, pretty much homeless. And mom said, we need a house. You need to go play. Mm -hmm. wow. So I, I, went, I went to play, but I never really did. I never really embrace the moment i really that was never really a dream of mine so it wasn't like i had planned for it it wasn't like i was taking advantage uh and maximizing 
uh, we didn't start taking professional football seriously until Chris Collinsworth, like my, about my seventh year, Chris Collinsworth said that pretty much I was a bust and he pissed me off. So I played the next 10 wow. years to prove him wrong. It took seven <laughs> years for that to happen, for wow. someone to, to bring that out of you. Uh, for, well, yeah, for me to really want to be the best, really want to try to to accomplish in the NFL. You know, I look back on it now, you know, at 21 years old, I just, I did not realize the impact and the importance and the level uh, in which all of that meant and what that carried. I was just living, man. I was just, I was just going forward, living, taking it day by day, moment by moment, because again, I wasn't a sports fan, so to speak. I was an athlete. I could do, I could play sports and play well, but I wasn't an avid sports fan where I followed athletes and had people that I emulated and I didn't know statistics. I didn't, I didn't, I never, I, my first experience with the draft was when I got drafted. <laughs> so and it, didn't right. last long, it just, <laughs> it wasn't something that. Right. Was <laughs> hey, hey, Irv, you, you remind me like Kajana with that draft thing, you know, you know, you sat down for like two seconds and the next thing you know, you sit, you're, you're getting up. I know back in 84, the draft wasn't the way it is now. You, you were Sunday. I know I think it was Sunday for the first round and, and so on and so forth, but you didn't sit and wait very long, man. And that, for guys like myself that sweated, that slept, that went to the bathroom five times, it was a rough day. <laughs> well, it's not often. So we have a running joke in the tank that every time we have someone, and, and Juice likes to talk about how tough it is on draft day. And I'm like, dude, you were drafted in the first round. You know, we bring in these guys that were supposed to go in the first and they go in the third. Or we get a guy like Larry Izzo who didn't get drafted and he's sending you know bootleg tapes to every coach. And, and so it's, ve- it's very rare that we have a guest in the tank that juice can we can actually feel badly for him that he has to <laughs> right. down for That's a few right. hours and wait. It's very rare that this <laughs> Well well actually I had signed my contract with the Patriots before the draft. Mm. So I had already spent about twenty five grand before the before the draft oh, ever took Lord, place. Lord. So I it was, it was it was already done. It was just an appearance for me and my mother. So they drove us to New York and we just showed up for the when they said the first, but I, it was already done. The, the ink was already dry on the contract. I had already signed before the draft ever took place. Now, I, I have experienced, though, the waiting, like you say, uh, OJ, that took place with you, although you did get drafted in the first round. My son, London, my elder son, mm. London, uh, he played at Western mm-hmm. Michigan. He was projected to get drafted. Um, I think it was the fourth round, fifth round, something like that. And I sat with him on draft day Got it. and he ended up not getting drafted, but he got a phone call right at the end of the draft and ended up, ended up going to Kansas city as a free agent. But that was, yes, I experienced that with him uh, sitting and waiting in anticipation and expectation, and then only to have disappointment. And it was, it was total torture. So, I mean, just, I just that's probably, it's probably tougher than way tougher than what you went. Through. I mean, obviously, no matter what, just because your son is just way son? tougher to sit there and see him go through that. Uh, yeah. So I have a question. You know, I'm going to back up a little bit because we you, you took us all the way to catching fourth down passes for touchdowns and Danny's return in 94. <laughs> but I'm going to back up. And we talked about New Jersey. And we talked about Nebraska. And you took it day by day. But there's another side of this story here. And, and, and it's a darker side. I mean, it is. And you've been very upfront about it. I, I read some fascinating articles in prepping for this interview 
but there were things happening in your life really beginning at an early age, right at home with the crowd that you ran with um, and, and some decision making and habits that you would develop, right? And personal challenges that followed you deep into not just through college, but your professional career. Can you talk a little bit about the, you know, uh, clearly so many things changed in your life and, and would love to hear about how, um, how that transformation took place. But take us back to those moments, uh, really going all the way back to growing up that, that led you down a life that would shock people that you were able to achieve what you achieved knowing the things that you were going through. Yeah, I should be dead four or five or six times over. I think I'm, I was just a product of my environment, the environment that I was in, whether it be the family environment, whether it be uh, extended relatives, whether it be the community I grew up in with friends and the neighborhood in itself. It, it, was, it was a toxic environment when you look at what's right and what's wrong. Uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, abuse. When you talk about dysfunction in the family, what I thought was normal <laughs> in a family, come to find out later on when you grow up and you, you become a man and you, you get the right information, you realize that it was total dysfunction. So yeah, uh, I can remember saying, and this, this might shock you, I can remember saying when I got drafted, Man, they didn't give the wrong dude some money. Wow. That's what I said to myself. I was like, they didn't give the wrong guy some money. Because I, mm. I, I, I just, I was out of control, totally out of control. I did things that I cannot say <laughs> over the air, <laughs> um, but that some people can only imagine doing. There were times when, man, I just ripping and running and making stupid decisions. I look back, I, I was listening with, with Brian Cox and he said the same thing. When I look back over my life in those younger years, man, what in the world was I doing? What was I thinking? Obviously I wasn't thinking I was just doing. And listen, when you, when, when someone like that, someone like I was the mentality that I had as a younger male, younger black male that does not have, I didn't have, any guidance. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have any sense of stability. No one that I knew uh, had ever taken on or moved to that level with regards to exposure or with regards to nationality, you know, that national exposure or even economically, nobody I knew had any money like that. So I had no guidance from anybody. And everybody that was connected to me was just allowing me to do whatever it is I yeah. want to do. And it was, it was totally, totally out of control, totally out of control. And uh, man, I'm just, there's a saying that, that people say, God takes care of babies and fools. Mm. And obviously that's, that is true. Wow. And, and the, what's fascinating to me, well, what you just said was, there was an awareness though. Like there was a, you know, for you to say they gave the wrong dude some money, like you knew, you knew what you were about to do and about to get into. So that, that's, you know, some cats try, I think, to deny and put that awareness that you were about to do some damage, further damage, you know, now that you actually got paid and that, that this team that just entrusted in you over every eligible player in the draft made a mistake. That, that's well, kind of mind boggling to me. And, and that's, um, that's what I was talking about earlier, not understanding the, the, the moment, not understanding the importance of what was really happening in my life. 
And when you do, when you give someone with a lot of options, because that's what money does, money gives you mm-hmm. a lot of options. Right. You give them a lot of options. That's like throwing gas on a fire. And that, and that's what that was. Yes, there was, there was a certain measure of restraint, I guess. And that had to do, I believe, with uh, the respect for my parents. So I would go so far, but I wouldn't go as far as I could have <laughs> because that was out of respect for my parents. And I, I was afraid of my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really didn't want to have to deal with my father ever for anything because um, I saw I, I saw how he could uh, get out of control and I saw what damn kind of damage he could do uh, mm-hmm. in our in our home as I was growing up. So, so yeah, it's, um, you know, and they have a lot of programs now. And here's one of the things I want to share. They have a lot of programs now in the NFL for these young cats. And I don't want to call them cats, but yes, these young cats that are coming up that really help them, whether it's psychologically, emotionally, mentally, with their family, economically, with their monies and their finances. They have a lot of programs that they put in place. Hats off to the NFL, to these, for these young, young guys coming in. When I was in the NFL, they didn't have these programs. There was a, <laughs> they put me in front of a guy called Dr. Nikolai. And man, Dr. Nikolai had no clue how to crack this nut. He just, he didn't have a clue. And, um, and I really needed, when I look back now on my life, I really needed some help. I really needed some help. I needed to sit down uh, on somebody's couch and, and get some help. But that wasn't available it wasn't available there was a time when i left the game i got i got injured in new england and they wouldn't let me go back in the game so i got upset i left the game and crashed my car on purpose crashed my car on purpose i got i got a uh, concussion i cracked the steering wheel with my chest hit my head on the windshield got a concussion they took me to the hospital all right i think i spent the night at the hospital don't you know I was playing the next week. I had problems. I had issues, man. I was yeah. trying to take myself out. And you were crying and out for help, obviously. Nobody talked to me. Yeah. Obviously. Yes, obviously. And nobody said anything to me. Nobody asked me anything. That's crazy. They wrapped me up, put my behind back out on the field. Would you so have been ready for the help, Eric? Would you have been ready to accept the help at that point? Do you think it would have I, taken a while? I can tell you yes. And the reason I can tell you yes is because of an experience that took place in my life. Let me, let me give, let me tell you what it is. Uh, I think it was my fifth year uh, in the NFL. Um, Michael Timpson came to the Patriots. Was that, I don't remember what year exactly it was, but it was, I think it was my fifth year, but he was drafted. It's probably, let me tell you, from- he was my, he was at Penn State with me, Irv. So it's probably a uh, 90, oh. maybe 89, maybe. 89. Okay. That would be five yeah, years, like, right? 84 draft. Yeah, like my fifth year. Yeah. So, so Mike's, Mike comes in and, um, you know, we really don't know him too much. We're, we're past training camp. Now we're kind of starting the games and we're in the meetings together and all, but he and I haven't really had too many close conversations. So one day Mike comes up to me after practice. He says, uh, Hey man, I need to talk to you afterwards. Uh, can we talk after practice? I said, sure. So I'm thinking he's going to ask me some football stuff, you know, how, how to improve himself as a receiver. Cause I'm fifth year player. Now I'm, I'm kind of trying to settle in, but still making a few headlines off the field more so than on the field. Uh, we go down the street after practice to this place where it was a breakfast place that we all used to stop in 
on the way to work, on the way to the stadium in the morning. And we sit and we order something. And as we're sitting there, now he's a rookie and I'm the man. <laughs> he says to me, listen, I want to talk to you because you're screwing up. Mm. You, need to get your, you need to get your life together. You're messing up. And he just, he just ran it down to me, making more wow. headlines off the field than you are on the field. And you need to get your act together. Uh-huh. That's in, in a nutshell, that's what he said. Now, one or two things could have happened. I either punch him in his face and tell him to go, you know what? <laughs> or I listen. And from that moment forward, Michael and I have been best friends from that moment forward. So, yes, when you ask what I have received, yes, I was hungry. I was, yeah, hmm. I was I was just waiting for it. But the people that were around me, I believe, when I look back, they were just kind of letting me do Enabling. Yeah, just enabling me, letting me do whatever it is I wanted to do because I was the one that was playing pro ball and I was the one that was uh, paying all the bills. So uh, he does what he wants to do. How about that but clarity yes, comes I, from I, a rookie, I, a young guy? I think it's Penn State. It's not just the rookie. It's, I, think it's the Penn <laughs> I knew State it was going to be Penn of, State Herb. thing. I knew you know, just... it's all about Penn State, Herb, that you know, brings that clarity. Uh, I, I knew he was going <laughs> to say that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Deny it. It's that, that Penn State intellect, that education, that, you know, self-awareness, that mentality that comes from uh, from up there. <laughs> you teed that one up for him. Teed it up. All right. I have totally blown up our entire plan here, but I, I have to ask you this question. This is probably a clumsy transition, but talking about all of those things, the decisions you were making, the poor decisions, the, uh, all of that. So Miami fans love you for the work you did here as a Dolphin. But there's another reason certain fans, particularly those at the University of Miami, have a fondness for you. And there was a play in the Orange Bowl in 1984. <laughs> so there's been a lot of different talk about how that, that ball's not caught. Can I tell you, can I tell you why it wasn't caught? I would sure love to hear it. it from you, yes. Well, first of all, let me say this. I think of that play more times than I should. Uh, that That still, I mean, even though it really was – ended up being irrelevant because we ended up scoring anyway. So me dropping that pass, and that was the only pass I dropped that year. Uh, it ended up being irrelevant because we went ahead and scored anyway, but then we obviously didn't didn't execute the two-point play. So that's still to this day. I still think about that, which is I need to learn how to let the pass go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, as OJ, I tell you, there's things like that, that that a lot of us as athletes, some of those failures we still carry. You know, that, that keeps us, yep, that keeps us moving forward uh, in our lives today. But the past simply, I know there was rumors that I dropped it on purpose. Right. If that was the case, then, then there was a slant that I caught that I almost scored on a few plays before that. So, man, I was trying to score. So if that was the case, I would have dropped the slant. But anyway, I dropped that pass because it was easy and because I, I, I let the ball get too close to me and it hit my, um, was it my hip pad? The point of the ball hit my hip pad and bounced out. So that's what it was. I, I relaxed too much because I was trying to make sure I caught it because I knew I was wide open and the ball got too close and the point of the ball hit my hip pad and before I could grip it, it bounced out. Watch that would never happen. That would never happen anymore because nobody wears hip pads anymore. So that's you know, right. exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I would have caught that for sure. But yeah, but that's but that's what happened. I would play that so much. I'm like, man, you relax too much. I was trying to relax to make sure I caught it because it was there was nobody around me. Uh, they were in cover two, and I'm going up the middle of the field. But anyway, yeah. It wasn't on purpose. As much as people would think I dropped it on purpose, no, I would I would never do anything like that. Forget that. 
or it's hard to convince people that the toughest catches are the wide open catches. It's, it really is. Like the ones that you're wide open, there's nobody but you and the ball seem like it takes forever to get there and it's not in the perfect. Those are some of the I, toughest catches ever in football. People don't get, they don't understand that, you know? Um, a split second to think about it, turn and the ball's like right in your face and you just react. Those are, those are when your athletic instincts take over and it just happens. But when the ball's floating in the air, you have time and you know that, you know, you're open or the ball's not thrown quite at, with the velocity that it normally is. And it, t- you know, it throws you off a little bit. And when you have that split second to think about it, yeah, that's, that's when you're more likely to make a mistake than you are than if you're just reacting or responding to the ball. No doubt, man. You know, it's tough as it's been to talk about all these other things, man. We should also celebrate a lot of things that, you know, you did and turn your life around, bro. You know, let's talk about your faith a little bit, birth of your daughter. We talked a little bit about your son, other factors, you know, that have led you down a different path since those, uh, some of those turbulent times. Well, I, I believe, OJ, that's, that's why I am where I am today, even though, yeah, we still had some bumps in the road. But, um, you know, the Lord had a plan for me. It's just as simple as that. I can't explain it any other way. When I thought life should be over, when I had enough of life, uh, God said, no, no, you're going to learn from your mistakes. You're going to continue in this journey. There's some people I need you to come across and interact with. There's some uh, things I need you to do and to accomplish because there's more to your life than just this. So here I am. Like I said, by the grace of God, I came to know the Lord as my personal savior and the rest is history. Did I did I believe I was going to be preaching and pastoring? Uh, I've been doing it for almost 18 years now. No, 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 no. <laughs> Matter of fact, God had to push me into this. This is not something I jumped into. You know, those of us who are pastors, this is not something we jump into. We get pushed into this. And when God pushed me into it, trust me, I was minding my own business, doing my own thing. I had my own agenda, and it surely didn't have anything to do with New Jersey. OJ, you know, I moved from Florida to New Jersey because the <laughs> Lord said move to New Jersey. I'm like, to New Jersey? I'm in Florida. Why Why New Jersey? Right, and right. particularly back home where I'm from. I want to stay in Florida. Right. <laughs> I loved it down there. It was nice. I could stay tan. Oh, come on. But um, but it's, it's, it's just I am a testament of the saving grace of God. Truly, I truly am because, man, if things had turned out the way I was trying to make them turn out, I, you, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't be here. I would have been gone. Lord knows, maybe in hell somewhere. But the Lord had a different plan for me. And um, that's that's why I'm here. Is my, you know, you talked about my family or you talked about my kids. You know, I'm divorced now. You know, Jackie divorced me. I, I experienced years ago was that five or six years ago. I think five years will be the anniversary of me uh coming out of prison it'll be five years june june 6th this year so i had that crazy experience with a fraternity brother of mine that i did business with that was doing some illegal stuff and uh my name got trapped up in it and i ended up going to prison but during that whole thing oj jackie divorced me so that was that was that was another challenge that man the divorce was final and when I went to to a divorce court, I was actually shackled in orange, you know, shackled in my feet and my wrist. Yeah, man. <laughs> shackled. Well, that, I mean, I, I, you're not a violent offender. I don't, I don't get the shackles, but okay. Hello, listen, yeah. OJ, they treated me like I killed somebody. Yeah, yeah. They treated me like I was shackled in my hands and my waist and my feet. And I was in the courtroom when they found, well, she, she, 
when I got indicted, shortly after I got indicted, she filed for divorce. Our divorce, uh, apparently, she and her attorneys waited for the trial to take place to see what was going to happen. When I ended up going to prison, that's when she um, she finalized the divorce. So I had to come from prison, you know, and uh, sign the divorce papers. When I got out of prison, bro, I didn't have anything. Nothing. No house, no car, no money, not a place to live. Nothing. I started all over again five years ago at 50, what am I, 58 now? 53 years old. I started all over again. I thought I thought it was over. I did. I had no idea, no clue what I was going to do. Because while I was in prison, everything disappeared. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was in prison. So everything was gone when I got out. And I had to start all over again. Thank God for a couple of the NFL programs. Uh, I was able to get uh, some assistance to find a place to live. And just started putting the blocks back together again. Uh, my church was still uh, intact, which was a surprise to me because I was trying to figure out a way while I was in prison how to quit pastoring. I'm like, how can I pastor God when when this is happening? There's people who believe that I did this. And here I am, which is even harder. I'm in prison for something that I'm not guilty of. Yes, I'm guilty of knowing this guy. Yes, I'm guilty of allowing him to have access to my mother. But what they convicted me for, I'm not guilty of. So here I am. And there are people who believe that I'm that I did this. So how am I supposed to pastor people? How am I supposed to move forward with this? Man, when I came out of prison, don't you know? My church was still intact. And then I got hired by another church to be the associate pastor there. So I came, went into prison, pastoring one church. I came out of prison, pastoring two. <laughs> yeah, because you know what? Because your story needs to be told. It needs to be heard, man. And, yeah. you know, young, just like myself, look up to, to guys like yourself, man. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into more of your Miami career and after leaving New England, man. But, I mean, that's that's what's up right there, man. You you mentioned Michael Timpson earlier. I know Michael Timpson was a man of faith, you know, all through Penn State. Yeah. You know I mean? He led all of our stuff, man. And I just think that, you know, people come in your life for a reason, man. You know, and I think that might be, a, you know, one of those jumpstart guys that got into your life. And, you know, even you know, we're talking about, you know, the last five years. I'm talking about when you left. You know, when you when you're in New England, those first five years and so on and so forth, man. But you know, your faith has always been, you know, the strongest thing that's kept you being the urban fire that I know, man. And that's the guy that I met when you came to Miami as well. Right. Yeah. That was I had already had my encounter with Michael prior to me coming to Miami. And yes, I'd already uh given my life and surrendered my life over to the Lord by the time I got to uh Miami. So yes, that's the guy you met. That's the guy I've always been since then. That transformation from who I was to who I am now had already taken place. So yeah, you got to you got an opportunity to see God working on me uh in the freshness of my uh Christianity. So and there were some great guys on the team, not just yourself, but you know, you had Keith Byers yeah. and Jackson and Man, the guys that are Mark, Mark Ingram at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Mark Ingram. We all kind of developed a camaraderie that uh, was un, un, unbreakable at the time. Yeah, fellowship. Yep, sure. Well, I, I don't know how the heck to transition it back to football, but I'm going to give it a shot. Here. So, so, Juice, and we are going to obviously talk about your Dolphins career, being this is the fish tank. But before you became a Miami Dolphin, you played nine seasons in New England. You saw plenty of these Dolphins. You saw plenty of them. What was it like? What stood out to you as an opponent of this team? Uh, you know, how much were you watching the way Dan and Clayton and Duper were throwing the ball around on the other side? Um, did you ever think you'd actually suit up for this team? What, what went through your mind when you played the Miami Dolphins? Miami was always going to be a problem, but for some reason, 
we, every year we would play them the last game of the season down in Miami in the Orange Bowl. And for whatever reason, I don't know why it was, I actually figured it out later on, we, would, we wouldn't really have too many problems with them that second game. We'd always struggle with them in the first game when they, come with, when they would come up to New England and play in the first game of the season. But the second game of the season, which was always the last game of the season down in Miami, we didn't go in feeling like we were going to struggle or have or have the same challenge that we would have the first game of the season with them. Now, here I found out why later on when I was in Miami and we're practicing, man, I'm, I remember my first day in Miami practicing <laughs> in August in that heat. I listen. I didn't think I was going to make it through practice <laughs> and I was in great shape. And I promise you, I ran a go and I'm coming back. I'm like, if I have to do that again, I'm, I'm not going to make it. And then, they blew the, and then they blew the whistle and practice was over. So that was a great thing, but man, it was so hot down there. We have to wear long sleeves rather than have our skin out uh, exposed to the sun. But I figured out later on that we would, we would practice so much and so hard and it was different back then than it is now when you talk about uh teams practicing we would practice so hard and so long all year long that yes at the beginning of the season we had an advantage over the rest of the people in the league why because it was hot everywhere and it was hotter down in miami so we were used to playing in the heat but as time went on and as the season went on as the rest of the nation cooled down we stayed hot down in florida and we continue to practice hard practice hard Mm -hmm. And we'd leave it, we'd end up leaving it on the field. So the latter part of the season was more of a struggle for us. And I remember experiencing that because there was a game latter in, in the latter part of the season one day. I'm running and I went to shift gears in the game. Went to shift gears and there was nothing there. I couldn't shift gears because we were practicing so hard and we never really backed off any. And we stayed in the heat all year long as opposed to everybody else across the country. And there were teams who were maybe like in California or so, they would back off a little bit in terms of time on the field for practice. We never did. We never did. We practiced old school. We were under Shula. It was old school. Yeah. <laughs> it was oh old school. So we would leave somebody on the field. So there was always that uh, confidence that we had coming down to Miami at the end of the season. Now, here, here's, a, here's a story for you. Uh, about probably about five or six years into my career, I wanted out of New England. So here's what I would do every time we played Miami. I started going up to Coach Shula at the end of the game and telling the coach, Coach, you got to get me out of here. Smart. I started doing that about my sixth year in New England. Coach, you got to get me out of here. Come get me. He, he laughed. He would just laugh. He would laugh. Coach, no, I'm serious. You got to get me out of here. I would say that every game for those four or five years that I was still in, in New England once I decided to, to that I wanted to leave. And then when uh, Parcells came to New England, uh, he had made a statement to the uh, press that anybody who did not want to be here, he would oblige. So the next morning I was knocking on his door and uh, he said, listen, OK, if you can get this, that and the other for me, then, yes, I'll trade you. First phone call we made was Miami. I almost went to Dallas, but the first phone call we made was Miami and they made the deal. Wow. You know, I remember I remember you telling me, too, while you were in New England. You know, coming as, you know, you were blocking and returning punts coming out of Nebraska. But I also remember you talking about playing in the Orange Bowl and Reggie Roby was the punter. And you were telling me how high he kicked the damn ball, man, <laughs> especially like on a Monday night game. They said right. it's like, you said it was like dark. Yes. You know, he like kicked it out of the lights and it came back. And then <laughs> I yeah, he would, that last game of the season that we would play Miami, New England, Miami, it was always a Monday night football game. 
And uh, so we were down there in Miami at the Orange Bowl. And yes, Roby, he would kick the ball so high that it would go up out of the lights into the dark. And then we have to wait until it came back into the lights so that you could see where the ball was. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. I would have to get out there before the game and watch his balls go up into the park and come back so I could kind of get it, you know, kind of get an idea of of, uh, how I'm going to do, how am I going to do this with this cat, with this cat. And and there's no way he's going to let you catch his in warm-ups. There's no way. You got to catch it in game situations. You guys got to watch it, right? Right. Yeah. No, I would get behind, you know, I would stay behind the pump returns and all and, uh, you know, act like I'm doing something else, but I'm watching what's going on to try to get a feel for how I'm going to accomplish this while the game, when it counts. I'll tell you what, man, when I, when I got down to Miami, that's when, you know, that was my primary job as well. Right. And to catch those, if you can catch Reggie Roby's punts, you can catch anybody's punts. Anybody. Those things came down like missiles, man. Missiles. They were like, <laughs> man, it came down hard, man. Tight spiral, man. They were unbelievable, bro. Yep. No, but you did a good job, man. You did a great job uh, as a punt returner. You did a great job filling your role. And uh, I remember the game, my first game against Miami when I was in Philly. You and I were going at it, man. I think I caught a few touchdown passes. Yeah, you I caught a few. Yeah. You, yeah, we, caught you a caught few. a few. We'll talk about that. We're not talking about that. <laughs> you were over on the sidelines fussing at them because they couldn't stop me, and I was over my sidelines fussing at my guys because they couldn't stop you. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, that was a hell of a battle. Love it, man. A good I time. It, man. <laughs> that's when I. That's the first time you saw it in my head ball too. Right. Yeah. That was. That was. That was interesting. Let's, let's talk about a little bit about my that rookie year, man. But well, we, we didn't start out too well. Yeah, that's what so I was I've about to get to. You know, you know, I had I've been to get there. For this. You know, I had to go there, man. You know? <laughs> the rook and the season vet, man. You know, and, and uh, you know, think about it, man. I, I just I looked up to you so much. So we started off in St. Thomas. You know, remember we were saying St. Oh, Thomas man, that, for that, that first place. Was, I don't know how I don't know how Miami was so competitive. The Dolphins, how it was so competitive, having to practice and watch film and do their work at St. Thomas. That place. When I got here, we started out there, and then right. we moved into the new facility when right. the season started. But man, when I'm, I'm like, what in the world is this? Dude, <laughs> is maybe this? that's why they, maybe that's why they placed were working their ass off to get out of there, man. I don't know what. Oh it was. man, that place was not professional. The, the, the pool with no water, with oh. stuff growing on the bottom, the uh, Nautilus stuff out on the deck. You know, it was yeah. How yeah. about the fans? How about the fans, Irv? Right there, right there on the field, almost when we're right. doing, through, yeah, you know, doing was, mini uh, camp. Was it was crazy. different. It was it was not it was not what I expected right. when I came to Miami. They didn't show you that, did they? No, they did not tell me <laughs> that. You know, Miami was always competitive. Miami was always one of the teams that that you know you're going to. You know, if you don't bring your A game, they're going to wipe you up. So, uh, man, I, I'm like, they're getting this accomplished with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't part of the recruitment. No, no, no. They literally had a universal set. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the weight room? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what though, New England as well. When I left Nebraska and went to New England, for, yeah. as far as the facilities, it was a, it was a big step backwards. I think um, that's normal for college. I say same thing with Penn State. Our facility was unbelievable. And then I ended up going to St. Thomas for that, where, you know, where I had a hook for my Jersey and a, you know, a, another and a nail for my hat, for my, my helmet and stuff. You know I mean? Bobby Monica, you know, you need something extra right. nail for you to put that on it too. You know what I mean? So but yeah, but let, let's 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 get out of that, you know, St. Thomas era, and we did move to the new facility. And I thought you guys, you guys felt it was time to let the first round rook 
25th pick overall, not number one like yourself. Um, understand that, you know, it's, it's rookie hazing time, man. When I think I always, I, I, it's, I, I, I jump it up like eight people jump me earth. I think it's like eight people. Well, it took eight of us. Cause you were, you were mad. OJ was <laughs> mad, man. OJ, I didn't think OJ was ever going to speak to me again after that day. Now we, we he got baptized. That's all in the cold pool. You know, we, we baptized. Oh, him. he baptized you. Just That's what it was. I didn't, I didn't hear it. Holy water. I didn't hear the words of the Lord, you know. I mean, if, I, if I heard that, I'd have been okay. I'd have but, been all right then. But, but let me tell you. But let me tell you this. And Brian brought this up too. You got it easy because that's all that happened. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that was all that happened because you got so mad, or 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 if that's all that happened because that's that's all we wanted to happen. But man, my whole when I came in as a rookie, yeah, man, shoot. I, I, the whole training camp, six weeks, I was doing something every day, right. whether it was singing, whether it was buying stuff for the, for the linemen or, or for the receivers, whatever it was, carrying somebody's equipment, man, they took me and they, no, they didn't do this to me. They did this to, to another guy. They took him, stripped his clothes off and tied him to the goalpost. So when we come out the next day, he's out on the goalpost naked, tied up. That wouldn't work with me, Irv, man. I, I hate to say it. We, we've had we talked about this on the on the on the tank before, man. But I did have a gun in the car. Well, that's uh, okay. I had yeah. two. <laughs> <laughs> you're messing with here, Juice. <laughs> yeah, but first one two is probably uh, first one two it though, Big Seth. You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> I was yeah. faster than you, OJ. <laughs> Way faster than me. So, that's what I want to know, Irv. So when he comes running in, and he's talked about it, he said he came into that and he was heated, and he comes barging into that. You know who did this, that, and the other, and comes into the team meeting room, and then you stand up like, okay, yep. let's go, Rook. Yep. Like, what are you thinking when this young guy comes in? You know, knowing your history now, knowing your, you know. It didn't seem like you were backing down from a stuff. No, no. I I don't think that it would. I mean, again, it was team. He's part of the right. team. This was just the hazing. It it is what goes on. It's what happens. Would it have turned into something? Even if it had turned into a fight, let's say it turned into a fight, we would have made up and been all right. It would have been a fight. It would have been what it was. And then it would have been over. Seth, Irv would have whooped my ass, man. Oh, man, no, <laughs> like, I knew. Listen, I was saved, OJ. Yeah, I was I saved. I don't know. I couldn't I, tell. I couldn't tell when you stepped up to me. <laughs> that's a good point, though. That's a good point. I so was Irv, saved. I was not. My intention. I was. I'm a. I was a lover of the Lord. I was. If not he had stepped right. to you like six years earlier, like that, what might have happened? Well, yeah. No, well. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? I had to. But see, to think about it as a rook. You got to take some of those lumps, you know, right. let them know that, hey, you, yeah. hey, I can't, I can't just be taking, you just can't do that to me and me just let it happen. You know what I mean? Right. But I'm going to tell you what though, Seth, he, he embraced me after that, bro. You know, after that right there is in the meeting face to face after that, Chula's like, Hey, what, what, what the fuck? What's going on? You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, you know, at that point, man, Irv made me, I was just rookie, man. And nobody fuck with me after that, man, because Irv had my back after that. You know what I mean? Right. And that, that meant a lot to me, bro. And I, yep. you know, we, talked about it man but that that meant a lot to me that we able to we were to squash that right then and then we just kept it moving man and i learned so much from you as a, as a professional football player and as a professional human bro well i appreciate that you know there's that connection not just because we were receivers but that that fire you know you had the same fire you didn't have that crazy like i did because you were brought up in somewhere i don't know i don't know uh, well well at least it didn't manifest this <laughs> But that, but that same fire, that same desire, that same focus, that same ability, that same, you know, hunger, 
man, you had the same thing. So it was my pleasure, man. It was my pleasure. I always love giving back, um, doing what I could do to, because I was lost. I was lost. And then if I can help you stay on the right track, get on the right track, stay on the right track, make the most out of yourself and your career, man, then I've done my job and I can go on and be with the Lord and yeah. be happy. Bro, definitely, man. I mean, I learned, I learned so much from that. You know, Irv, man, and just the whole, and here's a little aside, Big Seth, Irv, like, we, we, Irv, I talked to Irv a lot. And then Irv be like, you know, OJ, man, they, they say I lost a step. He said, but I had one to lose. You know what I mean? He, he <laughs> was running 4-2-4-3. Now he's running 4-4 four, four, and everybody's talking shit. I'm like, come on, man. That's crazy. I mean, I wish I could run 4-4 four, four consistently like that and easily like this dude, man. Nobody worked harder Slow than this man, man. Four. Weight room, workouts. You know, you remember – um. Muhammad Oliver, Irv. Yeah, I remember Oliver. BB, they came in and tried to run all these tests with you, man. Uh-huh. Ten years younger than you, man, and you were still in it. It's like, dude, from the moment I met Irv to the end, man, there's nobody that ran better, tested better, lifted better. Worked well, you hard, did. Man. We had that 30-minute run or a 20-minute run. <laughs> I could do that all day, though. I couldn't catch you with that. I'm like, what? I could do that all day. That's <laughs> one a thing I could do. Guy. Uh, I remember He's that 20-minute run. You were the one that was – I'm you were the one, the only one to beat me. I'm like, yeah, well, track star on that one. But the rest of it, you, you own me on the rest, though. <laughs> well, well, I'm glad you guys figured it out, and I'm glad you guys became, you know, so close, and that it didn't go sideways no. when it could have. But let's go back. You talked about it at the top of the show, and it is my fondest memory of your career here with the Dolphins, and I think a lot of people would say that, and it meant so much. But it's that fourth down play. It's 1994, and not only, you know, look, fourth and five, and the whole thing. This is Dan's first game back, right, from the Achilles. The preseason, people actually were questioning him because of his preseason performance, which is laughable to me. But what was going through – I mean, you had a big game. You know, that wasn't your only touchdown that day, multiple TD day. But I kind of – you know, walk us through that. Uh, uh, Other than OJ, the rest of us haven't had the pleasure of being in the huddle with Dan Marino. (laughs) You know, how much were you trying to show out for Danny? You know, how much did you have his back? How much was it just another day at the office? And and literally that that hand signal, like what is he flashing right. behind his back that you know what you're about to do? Right. Well, it was just, you know, I was locked in because it was the first game of the season and the first game of the season was against where I just left, against the team and the teammates that I just left. So uh, I was really, really, really locked in. And it actually, uh, I became anxious during the game because I really didn't catch a pass until almost the end of the third quarter. So all the passes I caught – happened at the end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter. So during the game, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting anxious. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not contributing. I'm not, okay, is this how it's going to (laughs) be? Y'all need to throw me the ball. Right. (laughs) So, um, so now, you know, I've caught a couple of touchdown passes. Now it's fourth and five. And I looked at the film and thank God he threw it to me because the guys on the other side, they had triplets on the other side, the three of them, none of them got open. (laughs) <laughs> no more open if you look at the film none it was of muddy them, that day it was muddy that it, day <laughs> none of, it was it was muddy none of them got open so we, we uh it's, it was normal dan comes up in the huddle. He, he never knows he doesn't tell you in the huddle you know be aware we're just aware we're supposed to be aware keeping your eyes open and, and knowing what's going on with him just know that he might change something up so now the huddle breaks i'm over to the right everybody's over to elsa's over to the left he comes up and he stands and he throws the signal down behind him. He kind of five, hit five fingers back. Yep. Five fingers. Two that's was a slant. Five, that's what five, it is. Yeah. Two five fingers was a was a go. Two yeah. fingers was a slant. One finger was a hitch. And he just throws it behind real quick. He does it real quick. Just real like, subtle. 
Yep, real subtle. Mm-hmm. You got to be paying attention. You got to know what's going on. Um, and it's real subtle, bang. And he saw it that fast that it was one on one with this. Ro- he was a rookie corner, one on one with he and I. It was supposed to be. It was only needed five yards for the first down, but he's like, "Let's go for it!" And bang! It, before you know, it, we're off and we're running. And it's just, it was just reaction. And caught the ball, won the game, and it was just wonderful. I mean, I, I felt like I died and went to heaven because those kinds of things we never gave ourselves an opportunity to operate like that as an offense when I was in in New England, and to be able to come down to Miami, man, and experience. The first game with Dan, obviously I had seasoned him there already where Dan got hurt, but the first game with Dan, experience, have this kind of experience, man. It was like, I literally said, this ain't fair. This is not fair. This is like being out in the street and <laughs> we're just making stuff up. <laughs> Drawing it up. Yeah. Juice, the stats on this, I mean, I, you know, I'm looking at the box score, and as he said, he didn't start catching passes till late in the game. 54-yard touchdown, 50-yard touchdown, then yeah. that one's a 35-yarder, and those are just the touchdown catches. It's monster. Monster finish. But I put it on him. I, I love it, man. I remember that that game was, at the end especially, was like back and forth, you know, him and Blesso yep. were like going like t- tick for tat, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, Irv and, and Dan with the final dagger. Irv, I, I remember another time, too, and, and then I'll let Seth get back to the thing, but I remember that time we were playing at New England, and we're sitting there, we're watching film, yeah, and yeah. and Danny's like, look, bro, if they come with this weak ass corner blitz, uh-huh. you know, you just you just take off, you just run, and I'm gonna well, sit here well, and take this hit, and you just. Well, ahead. what we did was what we did was he saw that we had time, mm-hmm. so make sure I split out far enough, and they come with the corner blitz. They're bringing the safety down from the middle yeah. of the field because everybody else, when they run the corner blitz, the receiver is running a hitch, so they're bringing the safety down Hard. to cover the receiver and to make the tackle on the hitch. So what we decided was, okay, when that happens, you act like you're running a hitch, just do a hitch and go. And that takes away the angle from the safety and we'll end up with a touchdown. That's what we did. They ran a corner blitz. I ran up, started my feet. Here comes the safety. Bang, I took off and we hit it for a touchdown. Yeah, Danny said, I'll sit there and take this hit. This is nothing. Like, yeah. it, that yeah. distance is going to be all right. And that's how yeah. tough yeah. That's how Plus tough it was Maurice Hurst. Was, man. Plus it was Maurice Hurst. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, I will say this, and speaking on behalf of all Miami Dolphins fans who were watching that game, I don't think you were the only one who felt like you had died and gone to heaven. That was a special, special moment in the history of this franchise. That was really, really cool. That was my first game, first regular season game with the Dolphins. I was at that point just a, a game day operations guy. I had done a couple preseason games, which are nothing when you see something like this. Live bullets come, yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. So that was my indoctrination into the Dolphins and, and really became a Dolphins fan that day. And you look at Bledsoe's stats on there, you'd think there's no way in the world he lost that game. But then Danny's stats. Right. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. back and forth was that was a tremendous game. Yeah. And that Bledsoe was there again, like OJ said, that first game Dan was back when when uh the fourth and five touchdown took place. Bledsoe, that was Bledsoe's first game in New England. And he was he was chunking that ball, man. <laughs> Yeah, man, he was uh, he was really unbelievable. Irv, you know, we talked a lot about a lot of things, man. But let's just talk about the longevity you had in the league, man. You know, 17 years, man. That's unheard of for a wideout. Not only that, 
But you know, you made four Pro Bowls after thirty. You know, I mean that's that, that's what we we're talking about earlier. We talked about you you had a step to lose because you're still running at a, right. at a high pace, and you perfected your route running when you got down here because your right. route running was second to none. You know, well it was you it didn't was, have that early, but you it was zero when I got there though. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's that's, just, a, that's a testimony to Duper and Clayton and the whole yeah. Miami organization in me just you know seeing you know what they were doing, how things were being done. And just having the ability to be to be able to make adjustments and add it into my game. Yeah, and that's another thing too, man. You came down here, and I think we we actually we traded Clayton at that point. I think we got you with that that pick, so we didn't have a second round pick because of that. Uh, we got you from New England, and you were coming in to possibly replace Clayton. Duper was still in camp with us. He, right. he didn't make it to the to, to the fall with this, but man, I mean, talk about your how you sustain that level of excellence so long, and, and you know, and and doing the things you were doing for really almost two careers compared to what guys, you know, go through now, man. That's a, that's a long career. Well, I think the difference between, uh, first of all, you got to have the athletic ability. If you have, you have the athletic ability, then that for sure enough helps, but it's, it's mentality. I really believe it's just a mental state. It's a, it's, it's a mindset that keeps you at a level of intensity that allows you to continue to sustain over an, a long period of time. When you don't have that mindset, then bad things, I think, can happen. I, I remember talking to my mother-in-law about two years after I retired, and she stopped in the middle of our conversation, and she said, you're different. You're different. Yes, I was different because I turned the switch off. The switch had been turned off. There's a switch that has to be on in order for us to, first of all, play that game. We, we this is not normal for humans to play a game where we run into each other. Yeah. This is, there's, there's something wrong with us. Those, those of us yeah. that play this game. I mean, it's different now and we can talk about that too. Yeah. It's different now <laughs> than it was when OJ and I played. Uh, and prior to that, it's different now, but there's gotta be something seriously. We, we have issues. The ones of us that play this game because we weren't made humans weren't made to run into each other like that. It just it, we're not physically made to do that. So to be able you to, you might be, or you might be physically made to do he that. He is <laughs> still, he's still yoked. I'm sorry to cut you off. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> well, God, God's intention was not for us. To <laughs> That's right. Fair. It wasn't God's plan. Each other like football is a man-made game. We made this game up because OJ. When I finished playing, and I retired, not because I had to. I retired one because my oldest son was really struggling. And I need, I, I felt though, as though I needed to be around more. Uh, I could have gone from Washington and played down in, uh, over in Oakland with, uh, Gruden. He had asked me to come and I would have been on the other side of the country. And I, I turned him down because I, I felt as though I needed to be around for my, for my son because he was struggling. Um, so I stayed. So I didn't retire because I had to. I retired because I wanted to, but I still had the mentality and the mindset that I needed to particularly prepare for what I needed to do or had to do during the season. And I believe that's that's what sets those like the Michael Jordans and the Magic Johnsons and the Akeem Olajuwon's and the Walter Paytons and the, the big names in sports. That's what sets them apart from those who have talent, but never, never become part of the elite or never, never get to that longevity 
And that's, man, that's, that's different now, but that's what separates the great ones from those who have talent and just are participants at a professional level. It's, it's the mindset. Magic, I don't remember mag- watching Magic take games off. Michael never took games off. Walter Payton didn't take games off. You know, guys like that who are the elite, it's a mindset. And I, and that's, I believe that's what it was, OJ. Even, even when, um, when we were prepared for that 20 minute, Run. I never 12 actually, minute, 12 minute run. Was it 12, no, it was 20 minutes. No, it's 12. Is it 12? Yeah, because everybody's still, we've had people in the tank that have been crying about the 12 minute run, the 12 minute oh, run. Oh, really? But when I, when I, when I would train during the off season, I never really did long distance running. Right. So when we had that 12 minute run, I started doing long distance running to right. prepare myself for that. So it was, a, it was a new mindset. I had to, I had to expand my mind and my preparation for what I had to, so I could accomplish what I needed to accomplish on the field. And that, that was something new for me running long, running for 12 minutes. without right. stopping. It's I, never I, like four from 12 minutes, is it? No, I never, <laughs> I never did that before. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> you know, it, Irv, you, you say that too, man. It marvels. I look up nowadays and I see so many guys, so many wide receivers taking themselves off the field, man. What is that? What is that? Killed, you, you couldn't get me off the field, man, unless I was – I played. get me off the field. I'm on the field every every play. Every but, snap. The but but that's, how you, that's how you train, though. You yeah. train to play every down. Now you got guys – what is it, OJ? They catch a pass and they go to the sideline. They go to the sideline. One pass. They, they run a takeoff. They go to the sideline. You know, and you're definitely not going to get me off the field on third down. No. You know what I mean? That's when third you make the game. Yeah. yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> you got to be kidding me with some of these guys, man, that when they're tapping out and looking for a replacement. You I know? don't understand it. I don't it get it at all. Yeah. My, yeah. my career, seven, I mean, 17 years, if you look at if I wasn't injured, the games that I played in, I probably, with the exception of, you know, offensive plays on the goal line, and there were times, particularly when I was in Philly, I was on goal line and short yardage offense. Right. You, you're right. And with you, us, too, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, if there's one receiver, it's going to be that guy that, that can, that can, can block. Routes, catch the ball and can block. Uh-huh. Right. And that was me. <laughs> so, I mean, when you look at my career, I played out of the times that I was on the field, I probably played. 90 to 95 percent of the offensive plays no doubt man (laughs) and that's how you you know what and or you know what Herb? that's also incentive money these guys they must not worry about incentives man you know they're getting paid so much money they don't have even care about that anymore i'm glad oj feels some kind of way like i do because i i I, I sit here and my wife and i we and i remarried by the way oj and my wife congratulations by the way yeah we talked about and uh we sit and we watch and i'm like I'm getting pissed. <laughs> She's mm-hmm. like, what is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Like, what are they going out of the game for? That's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's it just it's a different sense. era. And and you cannot, I don't care what anybody says. I, I know a little bit about football. You cannot compare today's athlete, today's football player, to former football players. Like, no. like for instance, the quarterbacks. You can't compare these quarterbacks today to the Dan Marinos and the Elways and the Bradshaws and you can't you can't why because it's a different mentality standing back in the pocket now I mean if they graze your face mask with their finger it's a penalty what what is that it takes it takes away the element of the game where you know where you're able to impose your will on your opponent correct 
Yeah. And you- I, I'm glad you brought this up. So this actually leads me to something I wanted to ask you, and it, it kind of fits perfectly here. So, you know, recently in the news, and this is crazy how New England and Miami, it always comes down to this, but Julian Edelman announced his retirement. And then I don't know if you're a Twitter guy or what have you, but there was all these conversations, and, I, and not just on Twitter, but in the news, uh, you know, is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? And people lost their minds because if you compare his stats to all these other guys, and I chimed in, and I'll be fully transparent here with you, because mm-hmm. I believe Mark Clayton, it's absolute high, you know, it's a travesty. I mean, not, you know, there's people dying. Those are real travesties. But as it relates to football and the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it's a travesty that Mark Clayton is not in. Someone said, have you looked at Irving Fryer's numbers? Hello. And, 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 uh, you know, numbers are spectacular. We can compare the, the, and I did the one guy played longer than the other or what have you. But when you say you can't compare folks from different eras, and in some ways the Hall of Fame does that. And when you look at what you accomplished, and particularly what you accomplished at the age that you mm-hmm. really flipped the switch on after thank you, Chris Collinsworth, let's send him a thank you note that, that he pissed you off that time. What do you, you know, do you ever think about that? For a guy who didn't care, senior year, number one overall pick in the draft, didn't really care about football to then doing what you did, putting that body of work out on film for 17 years. Do you look back at all? Do you think about the Hall of Fame? Do you think that you belong in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Of course I look at the Hall of Fame. I would be, I would be dead if I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I'd be, it's like I'd have my head in the sand and I just don't know what's going on in the world mm-hmm. to not be aware or not to have some uh, opinion about what's happening with the Hall of Fame. I'll, I'll say this, and this is, this is not a shot at him. This is, this is just facts. You know, when I retired, I retired fifth in the NFL uh, as a receiver. There was a guy that was just put in the Hall of Fame last class. His name is Harold Carmichael. Okay. Harold comes from our, our eras kind of, you know, intertwined or overlapped, but my statistics are really a lot better than Harold's. Correct. A lot better. And so he just went in a class ago. So yeah, it does. It bothers me to a certain extent. It doesn't keep me awake at night because I know that there are people who have an opinion and who kind of control that process. And maybe they just don't like me. I mean, with Art Monk, Art Monk, when he retired, Art Monk remained number one at the wide receiver position well after his eligibility for the Hall of Fame. And Mm. I don't think they voted him in until like maybe 10 years after he retired. I don't know if it was that long or not, but it was well after. And he was still number one, statistically, still number one. So is there biased? There probably is. Does it? Am I aware of it? Yep, I sure am. Does it bother me? Yes, it does bother me, but, you know, I'm just a small piece of the world. So, but where does it come from? Or where do you think it's it's the the things that you were doing maybe off the field in the early part of your career? Do you think it's that you didn't maximize talent and ability, or you know, until that that switch flipped? Where do you think that bias comes from? No, I don't think it comes from that. I just think it comes from because because people are running the system, yep. and that's just the way people are. People people are can be out of order. People the mindset of people can be distorted and unfair. And there people can be opinionated. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens to be that this is the way it's happening. Now, from what I understand, there is a group of senior, I think, senior Hall of Famers, I believe, that can yeah. that can nominate someone and have them voted in. I, I believe that's the case. You're correct. After a certain period now, of time. Sessa guru. Sessa, <laughs> Sessa Hall of Fame gurus 
Or I'm so not a guru. You got to get her done. Okay. I'm yeah. not a guru. So I, at my day job, uh, I, um, I work with Jason Taylor, have for the past 17 years. Okay. Run his a nonprofit organization. Yeah, and so I, I learned a lot about the process when he went through it. And, and, um, and so I think that's why Juice is giving me, uh, uh I, I appreciate it. Uh, I definitely, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take something good today for sure. Okay. So, so what, what do I need to do? <laughs> Well, so that's right. There you go. Get him, Irv. <laughs> what do I need to do? Tell me what uh, I need to do. Yeah, Sign him up. Just put it on. Well, that's a great question. I, I am. I don't know who is in New England. Who is the um? Who has the Hall of Fame vote? I know it's Armando Salguero down here in Miami. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be interesting to have conversations with those folks that maybe had some uh, influence or um, exposure to your career. Probably would make some sense to at least have some conversations and learn about that. But what you were getting at is. After you have been eligible for a certain period of time, if you do not get in, and I don't know what that is, so but I, I do know there is a guru here listening in. But uh, after a certain period of time, you no longer can be voted in through the, the, the 50 selectors that go through the process, right. and then you have to go to that senior committee, and okay. that's exactly what you're referring to. I don't know where you stick because you played for so darn long. I think you still might be um, eligible going through the traditional way, but I don't I know. Retired, that's what I retired I in 20. In two thousand. I mean, oh sorry, man! So yeah, 2000, yeah. Two thousand. <laughs> I retired in two thousand. So I've been out twenty twenty one years. Oh, uh, well, you've been out. You retired in. Golly, that's twenty twenty. Retired in twenty twenty two thousand. I just got. I'm sorry. I'm saying twenty two thousand. I retired in two thousand. Right, damn, you played last year. I didn't see you. He might have Jesus. He's still in great shape. I wouldn't be surprised. So apparently, it's twenty five. I've been retired for twenty one years now. Yeah, twenty. And then during COVID, Seth, they had like retired players kind of on on practice squads. So Irv could have been on one of those, those practice <laughs> That's squads. That's right. You know? That's right. I wouldn't put it past them. If I needed to run one go route, I would not put it past them. But I would it's, give him uh, that hand. I give him that five finger uh, back all day. I might yeah. have. I might have one in me. I might tear some stuff up though. So, so <laughs> well, on the second play, do that. So Scott Stone, <laughs> who is our guru here, just sent me a text. He said it's twenty five years, and you probably know Scott from your days with the team. But he said it's twenty. You have to be out retired for twenty five years. Okay, so, so I'm still in the in the normal fish tank. Correct. Absolutely. You're in the, the normal and the abnormal fish tank right now. But but then it's 25 years. But getting back to the point here, I, I just wonder, you know, if we compare your stats to folks that are going in, there's a great argument there. But what you did from age 30 and beyond is is mind boggling and really not normal. You know, I mean, that we talk about it. We, we uh, reluctantly juiced uh, talked about Tom Brady earlier today and the things that he's doing at 40 plus or what have you. But the, the for you to go to four Pro Bowls, thirty. I don't know. I don't think anybody's done that. I don't think anybody's done that since. So I think there's some interesting things to discuss there. I was, if you go back and find this on Twitter, I don't, I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth. I did th- think that Mark Clayton needs to get in there and quickly. But I, I think it's an interesting conversation, man. And I and what's most fascinating to me, however, is that you came into this league as the number one overall draft pick out of a program like Nebraska and really didn't care about football. And now here we are at this point talking to you all these years later, and you're saying, hey, I do care about this. Yeah, and so, so that's a really interesting transformation and all of the other things that came through with that. Right, right. And it's just I think it's a testimony to what we can do when we get focused, obviously I was not focused on football those first uh, several years when I was in the league. But then when I did get focused on life, on my Christianity, on my relationship with God, which allowed me to focus on everything else in my life, 
uh, things started to come together and the performance, obviously, the level of my performance uh, increased. And I was able to do things that I'm, I'm not going to call it supernaturally, <laughs> but I was able to do things that I think some, you could some people could say are not normal, you know, and we can do those kinds of things with with uh, when we're doing things under the, the power of God's, under the influence of God's power. Yeah, no doubt, Irv, man. Well, we're going to let you get out of here, man. Before we let you go, man, what is, what is Irvin Fryer up to these days, man? Send us home. Well, you know, I'm still, I'm still pastoring. Everybody check us out on Saturdays. We have church on Saturday, OJ. Uh, and that's because I can't wait till Sunday. You know, right. when I finish, <laughs> when I finish the week, I, I can't wait till Sunday. It's this, this world is crazy. It's mean. It'll beat you up. So we have church on Saturday at five o'clock. So check us out. Uh, the New Jerusalem on Facebook, YouTube. My YouTube channel is uh, Dr. Irving Fryer Ministries. We're also live uh, on our website, which is uh, uh, newjerusalem.today. We go live there. But in addition to that, um, recently, OJ, I was working uh, at the New, uh, New Jersey Youth Challenge Academy a couple of years ago, where it's a quasi-military Academy on the base at Fort Dix, where we bring young people in from the age of 16 to 18 who are in danger of uh, not graduating from high school. So we bring them in for six months. We have two classes a year, bring them in for six months. They wear uniforms, they eat on the base, they train on the base, and we get them ready, uh, prepare them for the GED. So they graduate with the GED, graduate from the academy, go on, whether it's the military, whether it's the job corps, somewhere where we connect them to keep them moving forward in their lives. When COVID-19 hit, they shut the academy down. I ended up not retaining that job. So I started a CDC, a community development corporation. It's called Redemption Community Development Corporation. And we are in the process now uh, of building a 64-unit, two-story senior housing facility right behind uh, our wow. church. Yeah, it's it's like a $14 million project. So that's I'm a developer now. So that's uh, that's that's what I'm doing. Pray for me because it's a lot of work. <laughs> that is a lot You're of work. You're the man for the job. You're definitely the man so. for the job, bro. It's Sounds like if they give you enough time, you can get anything done. Is is what we've seen here as a. Uh... <laughs> well, we we've all I think we've all to a certain extent, and that's why I have this this whole office set up the way it is with my studio and all. COVID caused a lot of us to have to redefine ourselves, reinvent sure. ourselves, redevelop ourselves, refocus ourselves, redo ourselves, whatever you want to call it, cause us to re <laughs> look at our lives and, yeah. and, and do something about where we were to make things better for where we're going. So that's one of the things that I did in redefining myself, reinventing myself is I've become a developer. Love it. I love it. everything about this has been. I, Drew said this was going to be a great interview, and yes, I, sure. I, I had. Well, another, I got more. You got another hour. <laughs> I, we need to get you back. We definitely I'll, need to get I'll, you back. I'll in. be glad to come back. I Man, it would be awesome to get you back in. Hopefully, everybody heard and took down the notes if they're interested in, in in all of the different things you've got going on from content standpoint. If you're listening to the Dolphins Podcast Network, obviously you got to catch Travis Wingfield and Drive Time. Got to listen to the Audible, and we'll have more episodes of the fish tank here for you but uh it just was a real pleasure i appreciate how honest and forthcoming you were you know a a lot of folks have uh, have overcome things and they don't necessarily want to tap into that part of their life but for you um dr fryer to to really share all of that with you i think probably inspired a lot of people and it was uh really um kind of mind-blowing yeah irv said you can ask me anything juice Exactly what those exact words, man. You know, I was like, is he sure? Has he listened to the show? Yeah, it's great, man. (laughs) Well, no, you know, that's it's it's that's how we learn. This is a part of who I am. It's my testimony. And and the Lord has brought me out of a lot of things 
But what good is it if I come out of that particular kind of situation and I don't go back and testify and let somebody else know that, yes, you may be dealing with the same thing, but I serve a God I, that, that has made a way for me to get out of this and to move to a better, bigger and better place. So people need to hear these testimonies because they need to know that Yes, you can change your situation. Your situation can change. Yes, you may be in it right now. It may be difficult right now, but there is a way out and you can make it out and do better. Absolutely, man. Hey, brother, thanks for diving in, man. Love you. He just took this Jewish kid to church, man. I love it. He did. I love it. (laughs) Outstanding, bro. You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth living, OJ, Juice, man, and this is strictly for them true fans, golf fans, number one, One. of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank, go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank, it's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank, rocking with OJ and Seth when you dive up in that fish tank, Okay, this one for them diehards Celebrate big or cry hard Leave it all on the field, we gon' try hard Old school, a new school, mix it in Feeling like we up close when we listening Dolphins tales, in Miami is the deep end We vibing with our favorite players, no secret We get with Seth and McDuffie Bringing up stories we never heard to the public Bet we love it, Dolphins fans never budget We loyal to the team, whether happy or we upset We be like, what's next? Don't switch the subject You know it's all about them fans And if you ready for that water, time to dive in Don't switch the subject, you know it's all about them fans And if you down with Dolphins Nation, time to dive in Don't switch the subject, you know it's all about them fans You looking at that fish tank, it's time to dive in Rockin' with OJ and Seth, when you dab up in that fish tank